I'm Rob Kirkup, and this is How Haunted, the paranormal podcast where each episode we usually explore the horrible history and terrifying ghost stories of one of the scariest places on the planet. In episode 73 we're doing something a little bit different, as I delve into the listener mailbag and once again I answer your questions. Listener discretion is advised, as each episode of How Haunted will feature gruesome tales, horrific happenings, bloody murder and ghosts. So many ghosts. Listen on if you dare. Welcome to the second Listener's Questions episode. The first of these was in June of last year, 2023, so I decided to delve into the mailbag once again and see which questions have come in since. If you want your question answered next time around, drop me an email at rob at how-haunted.com or you can send me a message on Twitter or Instagram. On both of those you'll find me at How Haunted Pod. Are you sitting comfortably? Then let us begin. The first question comes from Eerie Edinburgh through Twitter. And I'm asked, what was the first encounter or story that piqued your interest? Before I answer that, make sure to go and check out all of the great stuff being created by Eerie Edinburgh. Head over to eerieedinburgh.com and take a look at the fantastic spooky YouTube content and of course, the podcast. So it's difficult to pick one particular story that first piqued my interest, so I'll give two answers in the interest of thoroughness. My interest was initially piqued when I was a young kid of maybe eight or nine. I used to learn the spooky books from the local library in the village of Fordley that I grew up in. I read about cats with wings, spontaneous human combustion, monsters, that today we'd call cryptids but that wasn't a term at the time, and of course, the ghosts. The photographs that appear to show ghosts terrified me and fascinated me in equal measure. But the stories that I was reading about were from places all over the world. The first time I read a story about a place local to me, it really shook me up. And that story was the Hexham Heads. I won't go into any great detail about it here, as I covered it in the Nightmare Before Christmas 2022 episode. But the incredible events that occurred in 1972 in that market town of Hexham in Northumberland following the discovery of two stone heads in an ordinary garden, was the story that dragged me in and has never let me go. As an adult, the location that captured my imagination and made me far more proactive in the paranormal was Chillingham Castle. In the early 2000s I knew nothing of Chillingham as a haunted location, and I don't think I was the only one. I might be mistaken, but I think the first paranormal book to feature Chillingham in any real detail may well have been my book Ghostly Northumberland that was published in 2008. Anyway, back in 2002 a late night local radio show which I listened to called Alan Robson's Night Owls did a spooky special from the castle. The presenter Alan walked the castle and the castle grounds all alone in four incredible hours of radio. He told the history and the ghost stories and at the earliest opportunity I went along to check it out for myself on a daytime visit. It was everything I'd hoped for, and so much more. The next question came from Dawn Holloway on Instagram. Dawn asked, Have you ever been so scared of a place that you would not go back? Firstly, thanks for getting in touch, Dawn. The short answer is no. I've really thought about this one, and there isn't any location that I've investigated that I wouldn't return to. There are places that I've investigated that I haven't felt welcome at to the point where it's almost appeared that something or somebody is trying to scare us away, 
or chase us out of their building. Examples of this that immediately spring to mind are York Dungeon, 35 Stonegate, and probably the most extreme example would be the Edinburgh Vaults. All three of those are investigations that I've covered in Patreon episodes, with actual audio from the investigation itself, which allows you to hear what I'm talking about. But a place so scary that I wouldn't return? Nowhere. Yet. A question along similar lines came in from Mel Varney, one of my Patreons, who asked, Do you get frightened when doing the on-site ghost hunts, even though you're a sceptic? The spending 48 hours with a haunted doll episode was epic. That must have made you creep out, surely. Thanks for taking the time to get in touch, Mel, and thank you so much for being a Patreon supporter. I do occasionally get scared, but not as often as I did when I first started doing this. My most recent investigation at the time of recording was at the Lytton Fill in Newcastle in January, and this will be the March Patreon episode. I did it alongside fellow Geordie podcaster Icy Sedgwick, and it was an organised fundraising investigation, with around 20 or so people there. At the beginning the question was asked, who's scared? And half the room, while looking around to make sure that they weren't the only one, tentatively raised their hand. I wasn't scared at all, as I've done enough of these now to know that 95% of the time nothing happens anyway, so I may well get scared if something was to happen, but I wouldn't generally be scared stepping foot into a place. That said, if I end up alone somewhere that's a different prospect, as the safety and numbers comfort blanket is removed. The 48 hours with a haunted doll, Firstly, thank you for describing it as epic, as when I researched and wrote the two-part Haunted Doll special that came out at the beginning of the year, the idea to buy my very own Haunted Doll just popped into my head, and I actually thought to myself that it could make an epic episode. And I'll be honest, it did make me creep out, to use Mel's own words. When I bought it, I was very excited about the prospect of getting the doll and then seeing what could happen, recording every second of the audio. But when it had been dispatched, and I knew that it was on its way, I began to regret it massively. Checking into a hotel with a haunted doll and a load of ghost hunting gadgets in a bag, I was genuinely nervous. Perhaps I would even say scared. When I sat that doll down on the bed, lit a candle, and asked whatever spirit inhabits the doll to join me in the room, I could hear my heart pounding in my chest. I won't spoil the episode for anybody who wants to check it out, but I half expected nothing to happen. I'd convinced myself that somebody would have likely bought some dolls for a pound or two from a charity shop, made up some far-fetched backstory, and sold them online for a hefty profit. As I mentioned in the episode, before I ordered it, I sent the photos from the item list into a psychic medium friend to see what they had to say. And when I got a reply from them suggesting that they sensed something to do with fire, and that they felt sick and they got a headache looking at the doll. It did make me wonder. Ultimately though, far more happened than I ever expected, including something I discovered had changed with the doll's position while I'd been asleep. And I'm so pleased that I didn't listen to the audio of what was going on in that room around me until I was home, safe and sound. I will admit, those two nights with that doll is without doubt the most scared I've been on any kind of investigation in the last decade. If anybody listening wants to experience the two-hour Patreon episode in which I spent 48 hours with that doll, 
You can take advantage of a seven-day free trial on the £3 tier of the Patreon right now and listen to that episode and all of the other bonus content over there. Check out patreon.com forward slash howhauntedpod for more detail. Or check out this podcast's episode notes for a link. And the psychic medium I've just referred to a few moments ago gives us the next question, as the delightful Donna French dropped me a message and she asked, When investigating your locations, what piece of kit do you find to be the most useful or accurate? I was recently interviewed by David, who runs Spooky Isles, for their podcast. And he asked my opinion on the type of equipment used on investigations. I'll briefly recap my answer now to justify my actual answer to Donna's question. I think equipment such as EMF meters, REM pods, cat balls, K2 meters, all of that kind of kit definitely has its place on an investigation. But if something electronic makes a noise or some lights start flashing, in my opinion, that isn't any kind of proof unless it's accompanied by something else that you can actually see, hear or feel. Something far more concrete. Then you've got things like pendulums, dowsing rods, Ouija boards. All of these things are up for debate, and I won't get too much into that here, as this could easily be an episode in itself. But all of those things include the human factor, which is hard to look past if we're talking about evidence. So my answer to what would be the most useful piece of kit would be, and this might sound a little cliche, your senses. What you can see with your own eyes, hear with your own ears, smell with your own nose. For me, that's far more compelling and far more conclusive than a piece of electronic machinery appearing to detect something. If those things are a given, and we're talking about actual physical equipment, then I would say a trusty torch, a camera, and something to record audio throughout the entire investigation. And the good thing is today, that a mobile phone does all three of those. Donna also asked, I would like to know which location made you less sceptical of the paranormal. So less sceptical is somewhere that's provided some kind of evidence or experience that has made me consider that that location may genuinely be haunted, and therefore, ghosts must exist. My answer to that question would be Chillingham Castle. The first time I investigated after dark back in 2005. And you can hear all about that in episode 3 of the podcast. There's also the Edinburgh Vaults, which I mentioned earlier. And you can hear all about that in episode 10 of the podcast. Or in the third bonus episode if you want to hear the actual audio from the investigation. And the other location I would mention is 35 Stonegate in York which you can hear in the seventh bonus episode. Steve King got in touch on Instagram and said, You're a natural storyteller. Have you ever considered becoming a ghost walk guide, or is it something you enjoy being on? Also, what's your perfect investigation snacks and drinks? Firstly, thanks for the kind words, Steve. And I do love going along on a ghost walk. My favourite ghost walks are the ones without gimmicks. Just pure storytelling. There's some fantastic walks on offer in York and Edinburgh, and I usually go to Whitby on Halloween, and the Whitby Ghost Walk is definitely worth the time of anybody who finds themselves in that delightful seaside town. Would I consider doing my own ghost walk? Yeah, maybe. The idea has crossed my mind. My perfect investigation snacks and drinks. 
If it's a cold night, a flask of coffee, and maybe even a flask of soup can be a real boost. But if it's a warmer night, or it's a cold night but you're in a warm building, I'd always throw a can of pop, or soda as my friends across the pond would call it, in my bag. My tipple of choice being cherry coke. And perhaps a bag of sweets, something like Haribo, and perhaps a Mars bar or a Twix or something like that. My younger brother Tom, who you may well have heard on the Patreon investigation episodes, would always bring along a packet of red licorice. It's almost become a superstition for him. Haley Rivers asks on the Patreon, My question is, how sceptical are you on a scale of 1 to 10? And are you more or less of a believer than when you first started investigating? I'm super sceptical, and I think it would pretty much take a full body apparition to convince me otherwise. Even then, I might put it down to something misfiring in the brain. I have had a crazy experience with a friend when I was a teenager which I can't really explain, but it hasn't made me a believer. But I love to hear a good ghost experience. All the best, Haley. Thanks for the question, Haley, and thank you so much for being a Patreon supporter. Firstly, I think I speak on behalf of everybody listening when I say that we want to hear what this crazy experience was that you had when you were a teenager that you can't explain. How sceptical am I on a scale of 1 to 10? I think anybody listening to the podcast must have me down as being very firmly in the team sceptic camp, as Donna and Mel in previous questions both mentioned my scepticism. I would say that I'm probably a 6. I refer to myself as an open-minded sceptic. I do think there's something going on, but what it is I cannot say. And I don't think anybody can really say or prove one way or another. Whether I'm more or less of a believer is a brilliant question, and one that I've struggled to answer since I received it. But I would say that I think I'm more of a believer, ever so slightly. As before my own investigations, I was only ever reading stories or accounts of experiences that other people had had. And that's entertaining and scary, but it's not my proof. In order for me to believe, much like Haley says in her question, I need to experience something myself, much like seeing a full body apparition. I've done a lot of investigating, and 95% of the time nothing happens. Or at least nothing you can't rationalise away happens. But it's that 5%. That paranormal gold dust that you strive for, and which makes you really question what you believe or don't believe. That's what makes all the difference. And that's why I'll continue in search of my own undeniable, indisputable proof. The next question comes from Sarah Bell by email, who asks, Which of the episodes you've put out so far is your favourite, and what do you have lined up for us that you're most excited for us to hear? Thanks for getting in touch, Sarah. In the last few weeks, a lot of people have passed comment on the wardrobe story in my Nightmare Before Christmas special, which came out just before Christmas 2023. That episode featured listener stories, as well as other podcasters and YouTubers popping along for a chat about their own ghost stories. I am really proud of that episode. It's the longest episode I've put out so far if you don't include the Patreon episodes. And I hope people enjoyed that one as much as I enjoyed putting it together. Speaking of Patreon episodes, the January Patreon episode in which I spent 48 hours all alone with a haunted doll has been really well received as I've already mentioned when I answered Mel's question. I'm really proud of my two Halloween episodes, The Ghost Walk of York in 2022 and the ghosts of Jack the Ripper's Whitechapel in 2023. I hope people listening have their own favourites, and if you do, please let me know what they are. I love hearing from listeners. In terms of what I've got coming up for you that I'm really excited for you to hear, 
Early in the spring, I've got an episode lined up for you, which I'm going to record shortly on location, actually at this haunted site in a remote part of Northumberland. So you'll hear me talk about the history and the ghost stories while I'm actually there. If people enjoy it, then I plan on putting out a few more of these across the year too. I know people enjoy the episodes where we go on a ghost walk, so I've got a couple of them planned across this year. And October, spooky season, we'll see weekly episodes released, and it will be a themed month culminating in a very, very special Halloween episode. I have a lot of very exciting plans for How Haunted, and I honestly can't wait for you to hear them. Start next episode with the ghost walk of Cork in Ireland, just in time for St Patrick's Day. The final question for this mailbag episode comes from Cade Elliott, who asked through the website, What's the most embarrassing thing to happen to you on your paranormal adventures? Thanks for getting in touch, Kate. I can't think of too many instances on actual investigations, other than one time maybe a decade back when I was on an investigation for charity with around 20 strangers there. We were all stood in a big circle, and there was a peculiar sound from right next to me. In the silence, I said quietly to the person stood to my right, Was that your stomach? And he replied, No. I farted, so thanks for pointing that out to everyone. So that wasn't good, but the two most embarrassing things to happen to me, by far, were related to doing publicity for my books. They were both now many years ago, but I still think of them often and just cringe, even though, as you'll hear, neither of them were really my fault. I'll tell you about both of them now, so strap in, as I'm about to take you on one hell of an emotional roller coaster. The first one was following the release of my first book, Ghostly Northumberland, which was published back in 2008. I received a phone call from the publisher a couple of months after it came out, and they said that Barnborough Castle in Northumberland had bought copies of my book and wanted to know if I'd do a book signing in their gift shop. This would happen one day over the August bank holiday weekend. I couldn't believe my ears. Me, and nobody in his twenties being asked to do a book signing. I asked the publisher how people would know it was happening, and they said that Barnborough were going to put posters up around the castle, and there was going to be promotional work done in the local newspaper. So I agreed. I went along on the day, which was the bank holiday Monday, and turned up at the agreed time. I parked up and approached the security hut to tell the man I was here. I said, Hello, I'm here to do a book signing. He looked at me, looked away, and said, That'll be £9. I said... No, you don't understand. I'm here to do a book signing. And he said, Nope. If you want to come in, it's £9. I explained I was expected in the gift shop and asked if he could just give them a call. He did. They had no idea what I was talking about either. He eventually let me in and when I went to the gift shop, the staff asked me who I was. I pointed to my book on the shelf and said, I wrote that book. Apparently you asked if I'd come and do a book signing but they had no idea what I was talking about. One of them disappeared and reappeared with a massive chair, then vanished again and came back with a tatty old desk. I suspect she might have got it out of a skip or something round the back of the castle, as this desk was ancient, and it even had a hole for an inkwell. They put this desk and chair in the corner of the shop and said, do you need anything else? I said, "Uh, well, I've got a pen. I'm sure I'll be okay. I sat at the desk, but the desk was really low, clearly a child's school desk, and the chair was really, really high, so the desk was lower than my knees. I looked ridiculous. 
and I looked even more ridiculous when visitors to the castle started coming into the gift shop and spotted this random fella sitting at a little desk in the corner of the shop for seemingly no reason. People would come up to my little desk and attempt to pay for things like bookmarks and boxes of fudge adorned with pictures of Bambra Castle and I had to apologise to them and say I'm sorry, I don't work here, I don't have a till, I'm not wearing the Bambra Castle uniform. So they'd say, and it's a completely understandable question, what are you doing sitting in the corner of the gift shop then? They were asking this while backing away, shielding their children from safety from the weirdo sitting in the corner. Eventually I got hold of a piece of paper and wrote, book signing on it with me pen, and I sellotaped it at the front of my little desk and put a stack of books on it to help the whole thing make sense. Before long everything was okay, at one point I even had a queue. It was two people, but that, that's technically a queue. There'd obviously been no posters up around the castle, and nothing had been in the local press. So everybody who did buy the book was doing it as an impulse buy. Not one of them had walked into that gift shop with the intent of buying a book about ghostly Northumberland. But thankfully, plenty kindly souls did on that sunny afternoon. The next tale occurred maybe a decade ago. I received a call from one of the publishers I'd worked with, asking me if I'd do a radio show from Lumley Castle Hotel in County Durham with cricketer turned TV presenter Freddie Flintoff. This would go out on BBC Radio 5 Live and BBC Radio Newcastle at the same time, so around a million people would hear it. The idea of doing this terrified me. I'd done a fair bit of local radio prior to that and always found that scary enough, but going out live on a national radio station was a different prospect altogether. But I knew this would be good publicity, and I'd regret it if I said no, so I agreed. The reason I'd been asked to appear was that the Ashes were going to be played nearby shortly afterwards, and each year the Australian cricket team stay at Lumley Castle Hotel prior to the match. In 2005 they'd been chased out of the castle in the middle of the night by the ghost said to haunt the building. You can hear all about this in episode 35, which is part one of the ghost trail of County Durham. So the BBC wanted me to do a 30 minute piece on the ghost stories in general, and what happened to the Aussies that night. I was so worried about getting one of the facts wrong, so I spent every spare minute over the next couple of weeks memorising names, dates, just ensuring that I knew everything perfectly. Also I'd been telling everybody I knew to make sure that they listened to me and my new friend Freddy talking about the ghosts on the radio that night. I turned up at Lumley Castle at the arranged time and called the mobile number I'd been given. Somebody came to meet me, and seemed somewhat surprised to see me. They said, I'm so sorry about what's happened, come with me to the green room. Before I got a chance to ask them what they were apologising for, I found myself in the green room and they'd vanished. But there was Pringles, so I was quite content. There was only one other person in the room, and they seemed to be very, very drunk indeed. So I sat quietly on my own in the corner, appearing calm on the outside, but inside, I was as nervous as I'd ever been. I then heard a voice. It was the drunk fella. He said, Are you the ghost man? I turned around and looked at him. I then looked around to make sure that there was still only me and him here, and I said, Yeah, that's me. He looked at me for a long moment and then shook his head and said, You can't be. The ghost man is on the stage. Before I could get my head around that exchange, somebody came to fetch me. They said, Rob? I had a mouthful of Pringles to put my hand up in the air. She came over and said, I'm ever so sorry about what's happened, come with me. She led me into another room, and just as I was about to ask her why she was apologising, I was far too distracted. 
and horrified by the sight that greeted me. As I say, I've done a bit of radio before, so when I was asked to do a show with Freddie Flintoff, I thought it would be me and him sitting in a small room with a couple of microphones, but it appeared not. I was stood in an enormous hall with a stage with half a dozen chairs on it. On those chairs were Freddie Flintoff, Mark Chappas Chapman, who's a television sports presenter, and a few cricket people. I'll openly admit that cricket is a sport that I have no interest in whatsoever. And there was an empty chair. A chair for the ghost man. Me. To make things worse, in front of the stage was about 500 people sitting in rows. If I'd been nervous before, words can't express the emotion I was feeling now. I was led to an empty seat in the front row. It had a poster note stuck to it with my name on it which is unquestionably the most celebrity thing that's ever happened to me. I sat down and looked at the time. My slot was half past eight till nine o'clock, and that was only five minutes away. It was then I noticed that everybody was howling with laughter, everybody in the audience, including those sat around me, and everybody on the stage had tears streaming down their face as they literally cried with laughter. I'd obviously missed the funniest thing that's ever happened to mankind. The people on the stage then told listeners that they were going to the news. I looked at my watch, 8.30pm. It was time. Someone with a headset on from the BBC came over and said hello. She then apologised to me for what had happened. The third person to apologise to me in the 15 minutes since I'd arrived. I asked her what she was apologising for and she said, Has nobody told you? I'm so sorry. Somebody else turned up said you weren't coming and that they were here to take your place. I thought she was kidding, but the woman sitting next to me joined in. Yeah, she confirmed. He was a right nutter. They've just had to throw him out. So that was that. I wasn't actually going to get on the radio. Secretly, I was more than a little relieved, but I was very, very confused. Who could have known that I was coming? And who would turn up and say that I wasn't coming and then take my place? However, I knew I'd find out soon enough what had happened. I could have just left, but I wasn't asked if I wanted to, and I was too polite to just get up and go, so I sat there for the last 30 minutes listening to some cricket men talk about cricket things. I was pretty relaxed, but then five minutes before the end, an enormous microphone appeared right in front of my face. Then the lady who'd broke the news about the imposter to me 25 minutes earlier appeared. She whispered quietly. She said that they were running ahead, so they were going to try and get me on for the last five minutes. I sat upright in my seat, and my heart started racing as the nerves returned. She said, There's a microphone. I said, Yep, I can see it. And she explained that in the interest of time, they'd just chat to me where I was sat. Those five minutes passed by unbelievably slowly, but ultimately, I didn't end up on the radio that night. Afterwards, they apologised to me profusely and asked if I wanted to meet Freddie Flintoff, so I did. I had a drink with him, and he was a lovely bloke. As I left Lumley Castle Hotel, I checked my mobile phone, and I had loads of text messages and missed calls from people wanting to know why I'd backed out of going on the radio, especially after I'd been so forthcoming in telling people to make sure they'd listen. I drove home a little deflated about the whole experience, but I was well aware that it was out of my control, 
and me not getting on the radio wasn't my fault, it was somebody else's. But who? When I walked in the house it was time to find out, as before I left, I'd set my Sky TV to record BBC Radio 5 Live. I listened back to it, and I heard what happened unfold through my television speakers. I heard them introduce a man onto the stage. It was a name I didn't recognise, and although I do remember what it was, I won't mention it here. He was introduced onto the stage to a huge round of applause, and to the Ghostbusters theme tune by Ray Parker Jr. I caught myself saying out loud, that should have been my theme music. They then had a chat with this man, the ghost man sitting on the stage, and he said, Before I begin, I'm not a ghost hunter, I'm a scientist. And he then proceeded to tell them all about how sports people are more likely to experience the paranormal, because they produce more adrenaline, and stuff like that. He didn't tell them anything about the events of 2005, which I knew by heart. Eventually, Freddy stopped him and asked if he believes in ghosts, and he said he didn't. And then Freddy said... I thought you were a ghost hunter. The guy then said, No, I'm not. You were meant to have Rob Kirk up along, but he couldn't make it, so I'm here instead. And then somebody else said, So you're just some chancer who's come along and taken his place. They then cut to an outdoor interview with a member of staff, and this was while they were kicking him out. Everybody was falling around laughing, and around the same time I took my seat with a poster note on it. I googled the guy's name and he ran a ghost walk in the northeast. So I emailed him and said, Hi, I just heard you on the radio tonight. I plotted my revenge. I hatched a plan where I would steal his ghost walk for a night. I turned up at the meeting point and just declared to the waiting crowd that I was him, saying, Give me your money and let's get the ghost walk underway, while he's there shouting, No, that's me. However, the guy started emailing me all the time, often in the middle of the night. I'd get up in the morning and he'd send me emails at 4am saying things like, I know more about ghosts than you do, so understandably, I decided to leave it. Thank you to everybody who took the time to send me a question for this episode. If you want to have your question answered, or even if you just want to get in touch and say hello, drop me an email at rob at how-haunted.com, or head on over to Twitter or Instagram, and you can find me at howhauntedpod. You can follow How Haunted on Twitter at at HowHauntedPod or over on Instagram at HowHauntedPod. If you want to get in touch, you can do so by visiting the website at www.how-haunted.com or you can email me at rob at how-haunted.com. If you'd like to support the show, you could sign up to one of three Patreon tiers. They start at as little as £1. You can get early ad-free access to episodes and a monthly bonus episode where I conduct a paranormal investigation talking you through the history, the ghost stories, and what happened on the night itself. This is interspersed with audio from the ghost hunt. What's more, there's currently a free 7-day trial to the £3 tier, so you could get access right now to February's special episode in which you join me overnight at the Dean Court Hotel in York. Then there are all of the other special episodes, which include the big Halloween special at the Golden Fleece, Dalhousie Castle Hotel, the York Dungeon, Bedlam Theatre, Kielder Castle, Haggerston Castle Holiday Park, and the 48 hours I spent in the company of a haunted doll. You can also get yourself some exclusive How Haunted merch, including a mug and a t-shirt. 
Find out more at patreon.com forward slash howhauntedpod. If you'd like to support the show but you aren't a fan of Patreon, why not donate a couple of pounds to help with the admin side of the podcast at buymeacoffee.com forward slash howhauntedpod. All the information and links are in the podcast episode description. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please consider leaving a review on your podcast provider of choice. It really does help other people to find How Haunted. Next time out, we head to the Emerald Isle once again, just in time for St. Patrick's Day. We will visit pubs, a jail, an asylum, castles, and much more in search of phantoms and spectres. Next episode, accompany me on an epic ghost walk as we ask, just how haunted is Cork? Thank you so much for accompanying me for our paranormal adventures once again. Stay safe, and join me next time, when we will once again ask the question, How Haunted?